You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Cliff. Bobes, how you doing, man? Good, what are you doing? Where are you at? Oh, I'm at Salt Fork State Park. Where are you? I don't know. <laughs> Pretty typical. <laughs> I'm in Salt Fork with you. So got a good crowd here tonight doing a live broadcast. Yeah, first one ever. We've never done anything like this before in front of a live audience. Kind of feel like we're filming a sitcom or something. <laughs> Three's Company? <laughs> I'm Furley. Come and squatch on my door. <laughs> No way, dude. I am Furley. Let's come knock on my door. Well, for, no, no dude. We're in, South, we're in Salt Fork. It's Squatch on my door. It's got to be. Knock. No, knock. Yeah, I guess so. All right. I'll, tree knock. Tree knock on my door. I'm sorry. I'm only thinking one-dimensionally right now. That'll change really soon, though. I promise. Yeah, of course, we're, we're here in front of a live audience. I know there are how many people are in the audience? 30,000, 40,000, it looks like. <laughs> Sounds fake, it's so good. Oh my god, yeah. It sounds like there's even more people. But you know, these people go out in the middle of the night and scream into the woods. They obviously have big lungs. Probably some Denisovan DNA mixed in as well, you know? Big lungs and big issues. Big issues, yeah. No, that's why we're in front, you know, because we actually called you. This is an intervention. Um, Squatchaholics Anonymous, all of you have a serious problem we need to deal with right now. Just admit it. <laughs> Now, how does that make yeah. you feel? The cheapers are on drugs, probably. <laughs> Going squatching. <laughs> Yeah, so in all seriousness, so I want to thank everybody for coming out and listening to this and watching us uh, tape one of these things. I hope you enjoy it. And basically, we have no plan, just like we usually don't. You can probably tell that by listening to the podcast. Um, and if you can't tell that, we can thank Matt Pruitt for that, for editing it into some sort of sense. Um, but what we're going to do today is basically take questions from you guys, because certainly you want to ask us something. And you can ask us whatever you like, um, and we'll answer as, you know, as truthfully as we can without endangering ourselves in lawsuits or whatever and um, you know we'll just have fun with it basically joke around a little bit we'll probably record for an hour and a half maybe and then we'll edit it down to 45 and unless things are rolling and having fun in which case I don't know I'll have to send one of you guys out to get me a beer <laughs> so why don't we start and what's the best way to start should we just have raise our hands or something like that and I'll call on you would that be okay kind of flex my teacher muscles for a second Okay, so what I'll do is I'll come up and stick a mic in your face and you tell us your name. You don't have to say, let's just say I'm, I'm, I'm whoever, you know. You don't have to say last name. Oh, okay, good, me too, it's Cliff. Okay. Um, my name's Alex. Uh, you had mentioned about um, the importance of having maybe a dash cam and how there are so many in Russia. I just wondered if there are more sightings in Russia, perhaps, than there might be without them. Who knows? That's a great question, by the way. But the answer is who knows? Because we only hear about the sightings if that sighting reaches the ears of a researcher. And there frankly aren't that many researchers, at least none that I'm personally on. There's a few, you know, um, but I mean, I've just died. You know, they're, they're, they're going down in a number, you know. But I don't know of any, Dan, do you know any amateur researchers in um, Russia that do this thing that like we do here? No, I don't either, I don't either. So that's the problem, that's the problem. Um, you know, there's so many reports, for example, on the BFRO website out of Washington because there's a ton of investigators there. But like, how much do you hear out of North Kentucky? I mean, if it wasn't for Tom Shea and Charlie Raymond and a few other people, we probably wouldn't hear much at all. 
you know, is it, they're, they're like microphones, you know, and then whatever sound goes into those researchers makes it to our ears. But something else you mentioned, I think, is an interesting point, and I don't know if you have something to add to this, Bobo. Um, dash cams. Dash cams are the number one <clears throat> most promising way to get footage, in my opinion, because Dr. Krantz, in his uh, book, Big Footprints from the Second Edition, Bigfoot Sasquatch Evidence, noted that almost half of Bigfoot sightings happen on roads, driving along roads at night. What better way could there possibly be except for having a constantly running video recorder facing forward and or backwards to see if one runs across the road and if almost half of these things occur on roads at night? I mean, really, I just told you that story about the sighting, right? That was a road crossing. If he had a dash cam, can you imagine the footage we'd have? If he had a dash cam, it was 12 feet away. That could be you. That could be you. Well, I think, you know, if you can afford it, him going out facing backwards, because I imagine there's more crossings behind cars than in front of cars, and no one knows about it. That's absolutely true, but do you want to spend the time I'm screening that? I'm not, I'm not going to review that footage. <laughs> yeah, reviewing the footage would be something. All right, um, you guys being Bigfoot superstars as you are, and being privy to some information, I was kind of curious, going back to Russia, the students that uh, were out camping on oh, the Oh, Law Pass, the Russian yeti yeah. killer. With, the, with the, the, the photos that were released. Yeah, that was, they, they knew that was not a yeti when they started the whole project. It was just, it was, the Discovery said they're not going to do any more shows like that, like the Mermaid one, the... All that right, junk. so it was pretty much a hoax. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was a real event, but it was uh, what do they call it? That kind of wind. Uh, yeah, it just it can create up to two hundred mile an hour winds, and it'll blow like it'll blow like a, like cause like avalanche avalanche like conditions on like really non slope ground. And you know what? That um, that incident was in the news as recently as perhaps maybe a month ago. Yeah. My sense of time is a little elastic, but I think it's about a month a month ago. And um, it turns out that they think they might have solved the situation. Oddly enough, using the technology that created realistic snow in that movie Frozen, the Disney movie. I think it was Frozen. Am I right? Am I remembering yeah. this correctly? Yeah. Um, you know, they, they use um, AI or you know, like certain algorithms to replicate natural things, like snow falling or snow moving and avalanches and stuff. And using the algorithms that they developed for making that movie, you know, Pixar or you know, whatever company made it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know the story. I don't know anything. I know nothing. But anyway, uh, so they used that algorithm and replicated what they found at the pass. And so they think that that is, is, is a rare kind of avalanche, essentially, caused by I forget what. They may have solved that mystery, that a totally natural thing happened. There are no Yetis involved. And I think Meldrum was in there. And I th if I remember right, Meldrum was complaining to me about the, his depiction in there and they, you know all that other stuff. Well, they didn't tell me what it was. They just told me it was a documentary. Like, all the witnesses were real. Our, our, the guy was our sound man in England for that episode, was the sound man on that whole episode of that two-hour special for the Russian Yeti. And he told us the whole story, and he said that they, their, their explanation was fake. And there's no photograph, not, all that stuff was, uh, was was fabricated, essentially. Yeah, again, you, you know who Ray Crow is, um, Western Bigfoot Society, yeah, that guy? He said the best advice he ever gave, and he gave it every single um, issue of the track record, is wear your skepticals. A nice play on words, kind of punny, etc. But it's the best evidence, or the best uh, advice for looking at evidence you can have. Always wear your skepticals. Even things that I say, for, straight out. If I say something, absolutely fact check me. Don't believe me. I will always tell you the truth as far as I know, but I'm incorrect lots of times. 
Always match. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bobo knows more than anybody because our stories don't always match <laughs> for a variety of reasons. But you, you hear what I'm saying. Don't just believe anybody, not even someone you take as an authority. Double check it. You've got a brain. Use it. And the right, you had your hand up. Yeah, so I want to, when Matt said that, you know, when they get excited, uh, you know, it goes back and forth, it's like they sway. Uh, I've heard that so many times with uh, Bigfoot. And I wonder, is that like a, a nervous tick type of thing? And is it prevalent with, you know, many of the stories you heard, like when they do get spooked like that? Because I know other primates, great, yeah, it's, great it's pretty common. that, when yeah. they get nervous. And uh, even humans. It's probably slight agitation. It's maybe agitation. Plus, also you get a different look at things, you know. And then if, I've heard moneymaker thinks it's if the winds blow, make, so they can blend in with the bushes and stuff. And <laughs> the swing. I've seen them sway a couple times. And Is it usually under stressful conditions? Like, uh, like if uh, you observe them just out in the field, you don't see that type of uh, action or just I, think they're just I think they're agitated yeah. Yeah, it's probably a combination of a lot of things I've even heard someone speculate that maybe it's uh, to help circulation or something which seems weird, weird to me but I, I bet it more than anything it's a combination of nervousness and you know you've seen lizards doing push-ups right um, that's because they do push-ups for um, gauging distances and stuff well if you do this you can tell distances a lot better because you're lining things up as Bobo says getting a better perspective on it you know sometimes you see something and what was that you know and you have to shift position a little bit that they're probably just doing that, you know? Yeah. Okay, another question. Adam, hold on, I, let me go back there with the microphone. What was that guy's name, Phil Donahue? <laughs> <laughs> Do I kind of look like Phil Donahue? You know? yeah. I got the white and the silver fox, according to my wife. Yeah. <laughs> what are you, you, are you and Bobo's thoughts on the phenomenon of being zapped in the, when, when in the presence of a Sasquatch? Good question, Adam. Bobo, you have any thoughts on that, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've had it happen to me. And it, the, the, who are you laughing at? <laughs> Security. Yeah, be sure to laugh at things that are funny, sir. <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's most likely either infrasound or they're releasing some kind of pheromone secretion, like other great apes do when they get agitated. They secrete like almost like a skunk does, you know, like a musty odor. We think maybe that's what there's a pheromone in that odor that people report. That you know could be it wouldn't have to be overpowering smell, just like trace of that. Like we evolved next to these things, and in our deep you know primordial roots of our brain, that when you smell that, you know like that's dangerous. You better get out of there. Or it could be a it might it felt like infrasound to me from what they describe infrasound. Yeah, and a lot of people experience the zapping phenomenon, if you want to call it that, while they're asleep. And since Renee's not here, I'll step into that role. Um, I think that's probably almost certainly sleep paralysis, like when you're awakened in such a situation. Um, that, that's just my gut feeling. Because, again, I have so little faith in um, the observational skills of most people. Um, and just because I'm a jaded old man yelling at people to get, get off my yard, you know? You kids get off my lawn. You and your zapping get out of here. Um, so there's that, too. So I want to point out that, again, not everybody it, it actually happens to. But does it happen? I think that the reports are frequent enough that there could very well be something there. And maybe it is uh, some sort of pheromonal thing with the Sasquatch. Maybe it is. It could be psychosomatic for sure. I mean, yeah. I was oh, yeah. The first time I felt it, I was scared to death. It was like the most scary experience of my life. And it, was, it was growling just five feet behind me, like 10 feet in the air. Just, just as it dropped lower and lower and lower, it felt more and more intense. Like there was something like a beam hit me, but it could have just been my brain, just whatever, you know. You're being scared, honestly. Yeah. Right? Was, 
in the pants. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and of course, you know, the infrasonic um, you know, speculations about Sasquatch, I think are very valid. Um, they're very large animals. Um, uh, tons of other big animals use uh, infrasound for a variety of things. And I, it seems to me that if Sasquatches can actually maybe momentarily stun or confuse their prey to some degree or slow them down or something, then why couldn't they do something similar when they're nervous or scared or perhaps, you know, being threatening to us, kind of just at low, like off in the bush, but, you know, at a much lower frequency it, and at a high volume, that could have an effect on us. Don't forget that the Navy used to do experiments on infrasound as a non-lethal crowd control. The you Russians know, are doing it right now. Oh, I'm sure. And, I, and you know that, that Cuban uh, energy attack thing yeah. or whatever that happened in D.C. this past week? That might be what we're talking about because they're looking at ultrasound. I'm thinking, you should look at infrasound. Maybe somebody's done something better than the Navy has so far, you know? Um, but yes, yeah, some of the side effects of the infrasonic frequencies have been documented as a feeling of nervousness, nausea, um, visual hallucinations is another one. In fact, a lot of quote-unquote haunted houses, um, you know, when they bring people in, ah, this house is haunted, we saw apparitions, everybody feels creepy. The first thing a lot of the ghost folks look at are the is the plumbing. And uh, they, they, they listen to the plumbing in subsonic frequencies. And they found that some, something like, if I remember right, it's 17 or 19 hertz. I wrote an article about it. It's on my website. And you can go look at the number yourself if you want. 17 or 19 hertz actually creates very faint sort of wispy, sometimes uh, visual hallucinations. And then they fix the plumbing. And lo and behold, their house isn't haunted anymore. <laughs> Yeah, like it's seriously, amazing. it is amazing. <laughs> like some priest plumber. Yeah, exactly. Can you exercise my plumbing, please? Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. I was wondering if you could recount the incident in where you allegedly saw a Bigfoot in North Carolina on one of the Finding Bigfoot episodes several years ago. Yeah, it was February 2011, actually. It was uh, actually the first episode, except for the pilot that we filmed. We were at a location where there had been numerous sighting reports and a lot of rock throwing and sounds and all this other stuff over a long period of time. And it was a big, wide, shallow, bowl-shaped valley that we were in. Um, it took about four, well, if you were to hike there on the trail, it would take about four hours. But we found that um, if you, we went across country, um, we could probably be there in like a mile, mile and a half, maybe two at the most, you know? So we parked um, all on the road. We walked up uh, some, some cut or something, if I remember right, some um, shoddy forest road to a certain point. And our fixers, which are like the producers that go ahead of everybody else to make sure everything's gonna work out well, our fixers had marked the trail, off trail from that point. So at a certain point, we hung a left and we started going up through the woods off trail and we arrived at this location. Now, mind you, this is the very, very first Finding Bigfoot episode that we're filming all together. Yeah, so we get out to the location, we do the, uh, the, the, the witness um, uh, interviews and stuff like that. Um, and then a little bit of time passes, it's dark. Okay, let's do the, a night investigation. And we had these horrible backpacks. I think they were specifically designed to cause us grief. Um, they were like this old 1970s sort of aluminum frame backpack things and, uh, and, and uh, wires sticking out everywhere, recording equipment and weird cameras that didn't work. They're all janky and they didn't work right yet. And in the back of a couple of bars um, to connect all this stuff, there was a really long screw 
that kind of stuck right in the middle of our spine, and it was just horrible. The backpacks were never cool, and even when they fixed it and made it better, they still were terrible. So we're out there, and it's okay, and we're going around doing stuff and trying to get sounds. We get, we get, we heard something in the distance, and, and sound travels really well there, which is really nice because it's a really big, white, quiet, shallow, bowl-shaped valley. Um, we hear in the very far distance some sort of noise, and um, I recognize it as a car. And one of the producers um, says, do you hear that? That was a yell. And I said, are you sure that was a yell? He says, I'm sure that was a yell. And I'm thinking, this guy's trying to get a reaction out of me because I heard it too, and it was a car. <laughs> and at the time, frankly, we didn't trust the producers. We didn't try, we were worried that they were gonna edit us together into some sort of like, you know, I don't know, like a... a like a Hulu documentary? Yeah, like, we'll talk about that in a little while, Bubs. <laughs> yeah, but basically pieces together into some sort of weird infighting, you know, crazy MTV all live together reality show. Because we didn't know what it's going to look like yet. And Moneymaker was delivering. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah he, he had a couple red, perhaps Red Bulls that night to pull himself down. Um, and we're all fired up and everything, and, and, but nothing was happening. So at some point, about two in the morning, if I remember right, um, like the, we're on break, basically. The producers are all huddling, thinking, what are we gonna do with these guys? And then, you know, the cast members were all over here just like kind of bummed, thinking, what are we gonna do about these guys? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, were, we were at odds. And of course, all of that got ironed out later, and we ended up making, the, I think, a pretty decent show, you know, um, that, that was truthful and to the point, et cetera. But in the early days, there was a lot of contention because we didn't understand what they needed for television yet, and we were just thinking Bigfoot, 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 and we never really stopped that, of course. There was always a little bit of contention, but at that point, it was bad. And while, they're, while we're on break, we hear Moneymaker, and you've all heard the same thing. There's something on the hill. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what, what happened was it, it had rained earlier, then it dropped, it cleared, the skies cleared, it dropped down to like 18 degrees, and we were, everything was wet, so all, um, we had like a, uh, we saw like the battery, like the external batteries and stuff for the. Yeah, it was a janky set yeah, to say the least. And so the the barrel connectors, like the connectors to the cords, they got the they were damp inside, and so they got ice crystals when it froze, and then they were so the, it wasn't recording, it wasn't connecting, and we all we had to do was clean out those connectors, and we were recording because uh, the thermals were working great. And we were on break too, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my maker was standing there and. I'm sitting right there, and we're looking. I'm looking at his thermos he's holding, and it's walking across. And yeah, yeah, like he's yelling at the thing. And yeah. He says, "There's something on the Renee. Is that you?" There's no, some Trump hillbilly up there. Yeah, he, he thought it was. He thought somebody had followed us out into yeah. the woods to spy on us. You know, and maybe that was the case. I don't know, but um, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. Is uh, like he's yelling at it and such, and 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 I haven't looked yet. I have a therm, and Matt has a therm. Um, Renee and Bobo apparently saw the thing through the therm as well. And it's a figure on the hill. See, I, I hear Matt goes, who are you? And, and then he goes, oh, it understood me because what happened, it started walking at that moment. It started walking from left to right. And when he, Matt yelled, it understands me. Like the thing was walking and he yelled at it and it paused on one foot and totally froze there in the dark. Just stood there. And then, then he yelled or something else or whatever. And that's when I turned the thumb to him. And what I saw on the hill was clearly either a human or a Sasquatch. There was no other option. It was one color through the thermal imager from head to toe, more or less, which implies it wasn't wearing clothing. Because remember, your clothing keeps heat in. And it was a cold February night. So puffy jackets and all that sort of stuff, you know? So that, when you look at somebody with a puffy jacket, all the heat is within and changes colors very clearly. 
This was one color, and it was walking in a very peculiar way. Not like Patty, but not like any person I've ever seen either. It was a rock strewn steep hillside too. Yeah, it was, it was walking without a light through a wooded hillside. It's about 70 yards away, like down slope and then up slope. But w the way it was walking, from the waist up, you've, we've all been in the shallow end of a pool, I assume. And you know how when you're going through the shallow end of a pool, kind of you kind of scoop the water as you go? Imagine doing that with both hands as, as it walked. And it was specifically that sort of scoopy deal. Um, from the waist down, the legs were moving in a circular fashion. Like, it was almost like it was riding a bicycle, in a way. Very peculiar walk. I've never seen anything like it before or since. And then that's when Matt takes off after it. <laughs> because he's convinced as a person. And he was gonna go, you know, drag the thing down by its ear or something, you know? He's all fired up about it. And maybe he was right, maybe it was a person. I don't think so, though. Matt goes off after it, and I'm watching this, and I see Matt going off. And by the way, that's when the camera guys go, oh my gosh, television's happening. And they all grab their cameras and the producers and they start chasing after Matt because that's what they were wanting. They wanted us to freak out and get weird, right? And that's what was happening. And so when you see the episode, what you see is, if I remember right, the footage from the last camera guy because there's a camera guy in front and then that's Matt running up the hill. And then the producers went, ding, and drew a circle around it, implying to you poor misled people that it was a Sasquatch. It wasn't. We didn't get the Bigfoot on camera. We failed um, for a variety of reasons. But that was Matt, essentially. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I was saying, he, we, we were just, all we had to do was put two of the connectors, just snap back there. If we would have waited like three, four seconds, they would have been recording. I was so mad because I, I was holding on to the pack and he just, and just, he drank eight Red Bulls like an hour before that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was, the guy was, it was crazy how much, and he, you know, the truck stops or like gas stations, he'd buy those little yellow jacket energy packets and then, and then drink more Red Bull. So he just, he was so jacked up that he just flipped out and started chasing. And like, I was like, what you an out of shape middle aged guy chain smokes is not going to run down. So, like, <laughs> identify yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's, what he, that's what he first yelled. Yeah, he identify did, yourself. He did yell that. It was pretty great. Yeah, and then by the way, um, I, I was we lost it. I don't know where it went. I thought, you know what, if, that's, if that was a Sasquatch or a person, it's going to go over the hill. And, so I tried to flank it, basically go around the little finger there. I never saw it again. Matt had a thermal imager on one eye and uh, night vision on the other. He lost it pretty quick. We never saw it again. It totally eluded us despite our night vision technologies and all that other stuff. And we get back together, and then you see, you know, Matt and Bobo berating Matt, etc. And I'm super bummed um, about the whole thing. Still out there trying to find it. That's why I'm not on screen at the time. And um, 45 minutes later, about 45 minutes later, we get a vocalization off the hillside. It goes, Rrr! just a short, like gruff sort of up yours, you know? Yeah. yeah and 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 then that's kind of the end of it. That's well, really I, I stayed out. I stayed out there by myself that night. And there, they, there was definitely one out there. I think there was two because there was stuff coming around and making noises. And I, I didn't get anything filmed because all the batteries were dead. Yeah, but that was the coldest night. I think one of the coldest nights because I was soaking wet. That's when I quit wearing Carhartt in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that kind of brings up an interesting point about Sasquatches. One of the things that I think I've learned over the years, and maybe I'm dead wrong, and I'm I'm one of these Bigfoot researchers. I'm not going to get all mad if I'm wrong about stuff. I'm going to take it as an opportunity to learn and build upon it. But this is my current model. Sasquatches, I don't think range that far. 
I know that's crazy, and I know a lot of you guys are saying that's nonsense. Um, maybe the males do. The footprint evidence is indicating to me that the Sasquatch has kind of stayed put in a general area, uh, at least the 14 to 15 inch ones. Maybe the big males, you know, do booty calls 60 miles that way, because there's some evidence for that as well. Um, in Northern California. But um, this area, again, has had frequent reports over a long time. Um, sightings, sounds, rock throwings, etc. Um, stuff goes on there. And here we are again in the exact same spot. And I kind of thought, oh, they must like it here. But check this out. This is an extreme example. Matt Moneymaker um, has some skills. And yeah, I'm sure he rubs people the wrong way sometimes, you know, but so do I. You know, I'm a gruff, callous jerk too. Um, but at the end of the day, Matt is really good at finding Bigfoots. He really is. He's, uh, he's better than pretty much anybody else I've ever seen. You give him Google Earth and his database and he will put you on a Sasquatch in just probably a couple days. He, he's very good. And one of the things I noticed that he would do during our camping segments, you know, we started the camping segments later as part of our negotiation with the production company about not asking us to falsify things. Um, one of the things he used to do is like he would look at the report and say, oh, this person looked at, like, this happened at a certain campground at a certain campsite. He would call the investigator who looked into it or call the witness, talk to them, probably both. And then on his camping segment, he would go and do everything he possibly could to get that campground and that campsite. And he still batted like 50%. Now, 50, every other time doesn't sound that good, but man, like imagine if you were a baseball player and you had a, you know, 500 average, right? And, and it's a lot easier to hit a ball than it is to find a Sasquatch, <laughs> I think. Although I'm not really great at either. <laughs> All right, so uh, we have a question here that was written down. Skywalker Ranch? Skinwalker. Skinwalker. Oh, see, that says Sky. It does. See, now I can't address Skinwalker Ranch, but Skywalker Ranch, I've always wanted to be a moisture farmer. <laughs> I don't think, from what I, people I know that have been there, it's not Skywalker Ranch, or Skinwalker Ranch, it's, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's, it's pretty, I got actually, I got asked to do that show, actually. Yeah, be one of the guys staying there and all that for those expert dudes. Yeah. Uh, who else had there? Someone else had a hand up over here? Oh, hold on. We're going to get the mic to you. Wait for Phil Donahue. I appreciated when I did watch the Finding Bigfoot show that you guys were honest. I didn't want to say thank you. No, no problem. We have no other choice. Because in Bigfoot, if you lie once, it's over. Yeah. Is there any more? Is there another question aside? Paul Costco. Hold on, Paul. Yeah. Who would be on your bucket list to go out in the field and investigate with? Oh, I like that question. Great one, Paul. So who would be on our bucket list to go bigfooting with, essentially? Living or dead? That's what I was. They don't matter. How about how about one of each at the same time? Okay, living and dead, I'd take Roger and Bob. That's a good one. Um, I would think. Hmm. I, you know what? Oh, Renee. Titmus. Yeah. I would like to go out with Bob Titmus. Yeah. yeah, he's one of those people that I, I've never met, and he recorded so little. 
for you know us, the people who come after him. I know so little, he's always bewildering. What I do know about him is mostly from Krantz. Um, uh, Daniel Perez, of course, asked me to transfer uh, cassette tape over to digital, so I got to hear Daniel's um, uh, interview with Titmus. I think that's on YouTube, right? So we can all enjoy it. I know very little about Titmus. I know he had two signings. Um, but, you know, brief tellings of them. I know what he wrote um, in various newsletters, early newsletters, um, like the Bay Area Group newsletters, for example. He wrote things in there. But I don't know that much about him. And I would I've heard great things about him, and I've heard some slanderous rumors that are, you know, pointing out somebody's mistake to belittle them, rumors about him. But I, I think that Grover Krantz said he's one of the best observers and trackers he knew. And everybody who worked with him regularly has spoke very highly of him as being a level-headed kind of guy. So I think that would be a good choice for me. Thank you, Paul, for that excellent question. Yeah. Another question? We have one over here. That was a great question, Paul. Yeah. Never been asked that before. Yeah, good job. With the uh, recent video in Cincinnati of the three monkeys in the trees swinging around, and then the one from New York in the 90s, I think, Swing around. Uh, what's your thoughts on Bigfoots and trees? Is it more so ju juveniles? And how much time do you really think they spend in trees? Well, I think uh, Bobo has a number of things to say because he's interviewed quite a few witnesses and heard stories about them in the trees. Um, I've also heard the same. Um, and as far as I think the young ones are up in the trees, I think the New York baby footage is a Sasquatch infant, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I strongly lean that direction. Um, it, it's we brought it to the what is it Connecticut Zoo that guy or is it it was a Connecticut Zoo wasn't it we brought it to the, the guy in charge of the primatology section the primatologist saw it yeah and it's clearly an ape of some sort I think it, it, nobody can deny that it's an ape I know that some um, investigators speculated that it was a rag doll being pulled around but then that would mean it's always being pulled the same direction because of the hinge or the you know the pulley up on top um, but that's not the case. The thing moves quite freely. It's clearly a living primate of some sort. And the fact that it comes off the thing's shoulders underneath, right. I think is very, very compelling. Um, and we spoke to Doug Pridgen, the guy who owns that footage. We were there at the site with him, and it's changed a lot since then. That particular tree actually was cut down. I ended up climbing a different tree. Right. Um, but, not, but one nearby that kind of simulated, and we put ourselves in the appropriate distance and whatnot. Um, but uh, the fact that the thing jumped off the shoulders of that thing underneath, well, it was a music concert. I mean, there were, there were bands playing that day, and you know, all the hippies were camping around the fringes, essentially, and these hippies were particularly further out on the fringes in this apple orchard. They're on the other side of the pond. Yeah, they're quite a ways away, and they actually told me they observed people being turned away if they're trying to bring in dogs. One guy got turned away for bringing in an iguana. Do you think they're gonna sneak a given by? <laughs> And when Bobo and I were out there, I remember it was me, you, and Chad was our producer on that one, because there's always a producer and a camera guy. Um, we got knocks that night from the tree line twice. And when we closed the distance that night, what we found, what I found super interesting, was that the ground was littered, hundreds and thousands of earthworms, because it had rained so torrentially, so recently, all the worms were drowning and floating. So I, there's the food source. One of the things I uh, also apple orchard too. Yeah, apple orchards, right? So abandoned apple trees. They're just trying to make money on their property by having a concert there. And of course, me being the nerd I am, I started thinking, okay, worms, food, protein. Whenever there's a superfluous supply of protein, sasquatches are usually not that far behind. I started doing calculations, and believe it or not, you can actually find information on how many calories are in an earthworm. 
um, by average size and everything. So I did, I did calculations. Within an hour, a Sasquatch can get a couple thousand calories just from earthworms. You know, that's not that hard. And then you just walk around and pick them up. Follow the food, follow the water, follow the cover, and recent sighting reports. And you might stumble upon a Sasquatch. But as far as the stuff in Cincinnati, I haven't heard any of that. I don't know. But Sasquatches are up in trees, I know. He, yeah. What about, what was his name, the guy on the, um, the reservation, uh, the Klamath, the, the Humboldt episode? Oh, yeah. Um, Inker. Yeah, Inker. He saw one jump out of a tree. Yeah. And then uh, we hear all the time, I've never seen it, but I've heard uh, literally at least a thousand times the last 30 years, is just a, like something landing heavy on the ground. I've heard that. The cliffs heard it. We've heard yeah. it th thousands of times, or at least hundreds, like all over North America. A lot of times it sounds like when a big thing of snow slides off a roof and it hits the other snake, there's like a thump sound. Something big, I used, I used to think they were picking up rocks and smashing them on the ground or something, but I think more and more they're jumping out of trees. I, I don't know if you guys listen to our podcast. If you're here, I'm assuming you listen to the podcast, but I was just reading this uh, one, Becky, this, the Brush Mountain lookout lady. She was up there for like 25 years in a fire lookout above Willow Creek and out in Northern California. And, she saw one, or this old logger she was talking to back in like 1980, saw a huge, she said it was, he said it was 12 foot giant huge male, jump up and grab a branch and swing its feet above its head and launch itself a bit of the brush up above, like the leaves and brush. And the last thing she saw is its top of its head and its arms disappearing into the trees. I think they're in trees a lot more than most researchers realize. I think they equate them too often with grizzly bears, honestly. Pruitt's well, group, the North American Wood Conservancy, they've documented, like, they've really been pushing out the big adults go up in trees, big males go up in trees. Yeah, I think we should all be looking up a lot more often than we do. I do, I look up all the time. I That's because you're an optimist. Things are always looking up. <laughs> I, think, yeah, just, I just don't look at eye level, I look down. I, look, I think they're laying down or up high. Like, they're not, they're not gonna stay right in your eye line too long. They're trying to spy on you, especially. I would agree with that, for sure. Another question? Oh, Betty. Get her cliff. I'm getting her. <laughs> Do you think things change by people coming into their place? So quite often you'll hear people live in some area for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden their house is being attacked, or something changes that scares them. Do you think that's because they're environment's disrupted or I think sometimes that's like the people don't even realize it like that they did something to just you know PO make them PO you know like uh, they uh, if they're like putting something in the trash and like this thing's raining the trash all the time and then it's like the whatever the person has a dietary change they're not buying this anymore like whatever they're not putting that in the trash at the end of the week like some whatever rap like donut wrap it likes to lick or something every week or whatever and then it's not there they go start smacking the house and so many times, so many times, uh, we, homeowners, new homeowners, when they, they just build a house, they're the guys that usually get yeah. Sasquatches on their property. That's usually that's the disruptive change that kind of pisses the Bigfoots off. So I think usually when something changes, they bug out. Like I'm thinking specifically of a, a long-term witness situation in Colorado that Dennis Full was involved with, um, and Wally was there and stuff like that. And it was a very impressive situation, and I just caught the tail end of it all, actually. Uh, this woman was seeing them, you know, saw, no, actually, what happened is that there, I think it was a six-year-old daughter was walking on the property, 
came around the corner, and right there, 10 feet in front of her, was a Sasquatch licking a, a, a cut stump, the sap off of this, this, this log that was sticking sideways. And then the two just kind of looked at each other, and then like went the opposite direction. So mom went back, and or no, the, the kid went back and talked to mom, saying something like, the monkey man's out there again, or something like that. You know, and they go like, what? And didn't really think anything about it, because yeah, my six-year-old girl's talking about the monkey man. And this that happens more than you'd expect, actually. I've heard several reports like that. Um, but then she noticed in the bark duff out in her garden, footprints, like in the, like in the next couple weeks. So she started casting them. Um, and I saw a video at Wally's house one time when I was there. And it was just a videotape, and I didn't see faces, but I, I could recognize uh, Dennis's voice, and I think Wally was holding the camera, and there's a few other people there. And the garage floor is covered with footprint casts. Covered. And they're mostly blobby, bark dust sort of things, but she, she's cast them. She's my hero, you know? Um, and there had to be 25 or 30 of them. I mean, there were just so many. And the, and the people are interviewing her on camera, and then you can hear her talking. And um, she says, uh, and, this, so, so, and someone asks, so these are all the casts that you've got this past year since it showed up? She goes, oh, no, no, these are all the casts that you have, right? She goes, no, 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 these are just the casts from this year. I have a whole storage full of the ones we got last year. Wow. Yeah, and I've never seen those casts. I've asked Dennis about them a few times. But um, there's got to be a couple really good ones in there. But the point there is that when investigators would show up, nothing would happen. So what they did, the, and Dennis is a one smart cookie, man. He is a good investigator, real solid guy. So what they decided to do is that they figured out that thing that when the investigators showed up, nothing happened. So what they did is they asked the investigators to park down the hill, like a mile or two away. And then the homeowners would ferry them up. So there were the same cars were in the driveway. You know? And then things would occasionally happen. See, Dennis said the wisest thing I've ever heard any Bigfooter say, you know, you, need to become a predictable feature in their environment. That's the key to it. If you want to go to a spot and have them let their guard down a bit, you need to become predictable in their environment. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sasquatches aren't like white mice, for example. You can't really stereotype them like that. You can't cast one net to encompass all their behaviors. They're as individual as you and I, and maybe even as individual as Bobo. (laughs) (laughs) They have moods. The native people say there's good ones and bad ones, just like people. They have personalities, just like every other animal, you know, with sentience, like all cave species. Good days, bad days. Good days and bad days and boring. Okay, another question oh, yeah. from anybody. Bobo, you want to call on somebody? I'll right back there. Oh, jeez. Okay, Sorry, you're right. I haven't got my 10,000 steps in yet today. My question is, after my experience of no longer consist, conservative they exist, but how they exist, and one thing I never hear anybody address is the health of Sasquatch. And I never hear anybody talk about how they're maintaining their health or medicinal plants or anything like that. I wonder if anybody's been... Any kind of research in that area? HMOs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never hear anything about that. You know what's funny is, yeah, because uh, pretty often, not a lot, but I mean, it's regularly you hear people describe them like having a chest cold or like it sounds like they, they're coughing, con- right? Co- yeah, coughing, like clogged, like just a lot of phlegm in their throat, stuff like clearing their throats. Like you hear that in the wintertime when it's cold out, people report them like having colds. It's entirely possible, but man, if you lived their life, you would be just ripped. 
You'd be just, just like this big ball of muscle that you know can run 35, 40 miles an hour and or more, who, who knows. You're chasing deer down after all, or at least ambushing them. And even if you have a dumb deer, that can't be an easy takedown, right? You're just, and you're walking up and down the hills all day long. That's your whole gig is walking around looking for food. And your body weighs, you know, I and mean, Patty, I told you today that Patty's not that big, but she weighs four or 500 pounds. She's massive. And imagine a big one. Imagine the leg muscles and the butt muscles and the back muscles and everything, you know, and their whole, their, their arms are almost as big around as my waist is. Yeah, so you would just be ripped from living, essentially. But you know, there was a very real possibility that they use medicinal herbs because other ape species do. And not just the human ape. Chimpanzees do that. Orangutans also do that. I think gorillas do. I don't see why they wouldn't. So why wouldn't a Sasquatch do, do it? You know, it just makes sense. Okay, any other questions or some more? But what do you think? Right here, front row. All right, overall, do you feel the population is diminishing? How fast and how close to extinction do you feel? I think, I think it's going up. Our whole city, at least, I mean, there seem to be you know, all the stats about how much more women there is now than there was in 1900 or 1950. There's more now than then. Europeans went around and settled places like South America, Asia, Africa. The, the, the diseases we brought that wiped out the native indigenous peoples wiped out a lot of other primates as well that jumped over species. I, I, I just kind of think that because there's, there's a lot of places that weren't Bigfoot reports for a long time there are now, I think that when the natives got, I think it spread out quite possibly through the Bigfoot population too and that they've kind of adapted and got more used to the, you know, the diseases we carry. And I think they've rebounded. I think there's more now than there has been in a couple of centuries. My guess is at least, you know, a century or two. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not so sure that they're they're in any danger at all. No. Uh, really, not really. No, because when you look at other large mammals like um, cheetahs, they get um, they get kind of iffy around the 300 number. You know, if you can isolate 300 away from each other as they can in a breed, that's the number they start getting some um, genetic issues. But gosh, I mean, there's probably 300 in Oregon. You know, probably not much more than that. That's not that many. But that's also. But what about Washington and California right next door? You know, at a hundred to one ratio, which is what Krantz um, speculated in his book. He says there's probably at least a hundred bears for every one Sasquatch. I mean, I, and he, I'm assuming that Dr. Grover Krantz knows a little bit more about ecology than me. Um, I'll just take his number and say, okay. But he also admits that it may be more or less. But that, there's 300, no, there's 30,000, 35,000 bear in Oregon, my, the, where I live. So that implies 300 Bigfoots, which isn't really very many. Um, and to put that in perspective, if they live as long as the other great apes do, including humans, because we live as long as they do, just so we have medicine and we take care of each other through culture, so we've extended that natural lifespan of a few decades, they probably live 50 years or something in the wild. And they might even live longer because there's a biological rule, and I, I haven't learned the name yet, I keep forgetting to look it up, um, that within a, within a type of animal, like cetaceans, for example, you know, whales and dolphins, the bigger the species, the longer they live. You know, whales live longer than dolphins, for example. You know, some right whales are over 250 years old, after all. Um, if that law applies to Sasquatches, they might live 60 years in the wild. You know, and I have one data point. I have one woman who I believe that uh, saw a Sasquatch when she was like seven or eight years old. And she says the last time that she thinks she saw that Sasquatch was about eight or nine years ago, and she's in her 60s. So that, that's the old, that's, that's not good data, you know, a data point of one.
but it is something that kind of corroborates what we're speculating. But anyway, if they live that long, those 300 Bigfoot in Oregon, this is how rare they are. That means maybe six die every year somewhere in the state of Oregon. Right? That's pretty rare, you know? So anyway, I just want to point that out there. So I don't think the population's in any danger. Maybe in places like Florida, where they insist on paving things and separating populations. But the species as a whole, I don't think is any danger of going extinct. I mean, I, there's so many sighting reports. It's ridiculous. The question I have, Mike, and I, I ask it, not wanting to raise a controversy, I'm just genuinely curious what you guys think about it. You know, when we talk about the unexplained things about Sasquatch sightings like electronics fritz out, you know, cameras go dead, cars go dead, infrasound, and you get into this, is there something supernatural there, or is that a biomechanic thing that we just don't understand? And I know there's a wide range of opinion on that. How do you guys sort of fit that into your framework as you go out in the field and look at these things? Thanks, yeah. Beth. <laughs> I don't think there's anything to it, and I'm no fun, I get that. Um, I think Sasquatches are a perfectly normal animal, and batteries go dead just as frequently around as, around bears as do around Sasquatches. You know, and I admit weird things happen, but I think too many people are more than willing to equate weird things with Bigfoot. You know, um, I it is a fact that while looking for Sasquatches, Bobo has seen orbs twice, and I was nearby. That's a fact, or at least he says he I, I, I didn't see it, so. You know, he says he saw orbs. I was nearby. He was right. too short. Yeah, he's blaming the other. It's true. He couldn't see the bushes. I was tiptoeing to see the bushes. Along those lines, you guys saw the South Park, right? Bobo didn't like the South Park. Um, and the two reasons he told me is that they made me look like an idiot, and I was only as tall as you. <laughs> I said, Bobo, I'm only as tall as me. It's not so bad. <laughs> no, so but I don't think Bigfoots are paranormal in the slightest. Um, and, and here's my argument. Yeah, weird things happen. But does that mean just because you're looking for Bigfoot and see an orb that a Bigfoot is responsible? I think, I think that there's something to orbs. I don't know what they are, but I'm not ready to connect the two. You know, paranormal stuff, ghosts. I've seen something that I think is best described as a ghost. It scared the crap out of me. But I don't, you know, what does that do with Bigfoots? You know, UFOs, I've seen two, because I don't know what that was, and it was in the sky. Unidentified, check. Flying, check. Object, check. <laughs> you know? I don't know what that was, though. But, 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 the big, <laughs> but the thing is, if Bigfoots are some sort of UFO interdimensional thing, why is it that their anatomy exactly conforms to the other non-human primates on this planet? Why is it that the flexibility in the foot is, is, we can see that in hominins and the other extant apes right now. And why are they eating out of garbage cans? No. Would they just go to the holodeck? <laughs> okay, question back there. Cliff's getting a workout tonight. Um, so, a study done by Heinrich Berta in Germany back in 2008 showed that cows actually graze facing north. And if you uh, artificially change that north-south axis, they turn direction and they will again graze north. Now, that's something that's only recently understood. So, what's the chances that, going on his past question, that there is not something about Bigfoot that we still don't yet understand that could create disruption? And Wi-Fi signals and stuff. That's what I, that's what I'm. That's I say the same thing. We don't. I mean, I, I don't know about that, but 
don't know, Bigfoots are, they're weird. I mean, I, the whole thing, there's weird, there's high weirdness around them. I don't know if they're causing it or if they're just, who knows, I mean, they might be able to vibrate a certain way that makes them look kind of pixelated or hard to see. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, everything's energy waves and, you know, so it's, it's just all electrical. You know, we're just atoms held together by electricity. So maybe they can, I, I was wondering, like, when people report the humming sounds, like when they hear humming or kind of mumbling, like singing songs and stuff, I was wondering if they're like, if that's to get some kind of harmonic ringing going, they can vibrate a certain way or, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I think they could do some weird stuff. There's weird stuff around them. I don't know if they're the ones creating it or not, but, or the, they could be getting, these other entities could be using their bodies because they're the best thing out in the woods. I don't know, but it, it, Cliff's rational explanation obviously makes the most sense, but when you see weird stuff, it's hard to just write it off. I, I don't think stuff are, I don't think things are paranormal. I think things are pre-normal. We just don't know how to measure it. Okay, next question. Bose? Number six. Where am I going? Baker Mayfield. With all the fires you guys had last year out west, have you noticed an increase or decrease in activity with Bigfoots? I've, I've, this sounds so weird, you'd expect the opposite, but I get less reports when there's fires. I found that as well, because uh, the last report we got until this recent one this past month is August 28th, and the fires erupted around my neck of the woods the next week. Now, um, I happen to know one of the fire, a volunteer firefighter, firefighter, firefighter in the area, and um, he told me that one of his fellow firefighters heard a Sasquatch in his backyard, and he lived in from this area that we knew a Sasquatch is in because a bunch of reports come out of there. Um, and he lives inside, closer to town than that, and he thinks he heard one um, in the ravine behind his house. Now, there's other Sasquatch reports nearby. This is between Colton and Beaver Creek. Um, so uh, that kind of indicates they were moving away from it. But there was a drought on, on sighting reports until April. We heard a few things, some sound stuff and a couple footprints, but no sighting reports. It was a long drought until April, so I would agree with Bobo on that one. Yeah, it's strange because you, you expect them to be on the move. They're obviously moving. They're not going to sit there. They're, so they're going to go in, and, you, and those the fires were getting over a million acres and stuff. I mean, they're huge. So they're they're going to get pushed into areas they've probably never even been to before. So you'd imagine, like you know, they'd be forced to look for food in places they're not familiar with and. They don't know the habits of the people that live in these houses, so they get seen more or whatever, and it doesn't add up. For us, I mean, who know? I mean, we don't know every report that's happening. Just, that's just what I hear, and people write to me about it or I hear it through the grapevine. But yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense. Okay, another there's question? A, there's the hands up over there, right there. Where am I going? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was kind of wondering, just like along the lines of when you see like disappearing tracks and stuff like that, people say they're running on like a good trail of tracks, all of a sudden they're gone, no foliage, nowhere for them to go. And then you get reports of, you know, I've heard some of the way they drop down in like a spider crawling fashion. And I think like they might be in the trees, but do you think they're a lot like on the ground more than we think crawling like that, crawling like a spider? like? You, know, you see some tracks maybe they can displace their weight you know they're not leaving what we would you know be looking for identifying marks in the ground and do you think you know they do that to throw off their you know i, I know logging them you know i know a logging truck driver that saw one drop down across the money actually where i saw my first sighting on the same logging road it dropped down i put its arms over its head and then barrel rolled across the road and grabbed a stump and pulled itself up with no left no footprints there's just a big smear like an eight foot smear across the road but that doesn't account for tracks disappearing in the middle of a beach or 
things like yeah i never had that happen where you follow tracks and just disappear but and, uh, and people say they just step back in them, but I know really good trackers that can tell something's backtracking and stepping into its own footprint. And they said, no, it was just gone. I talked to one, I talked to a biologist that saw one. He was up in Queen Charlotte Islands off west coast of Canada. And he uh, was on, on a beautiful, like 11 o'clock in the morning, no wind, sunny day. He was sitting back in the tree line, just using the shade because it was kind of hot even though it was Canada. And he was up, anyways, he watched this nine foot Bigfoot walk up and it looked at him. Took about three or four more steps. He said it just blinked and was gone. And he went down, took photos of the tracks and all that. And it was, there was no, I mean, he took close-up photos. This guy, he was a really good outdoorsman. He could track and stuff. And he said, there's no way, and he took real close-up detailed photos of the footprints. It for sure didn't step into the last five or six tracks. For sure. So I don't, I don't know. Oh, well, they're just really good at what they do, you know? I mean, um, they can drop to the ground. I think they do hop in trees or drop to the ground and scurry away pretty quick. Um, but I, they, they certainly don't just disappear into thin air. Um, I think that that's probably attributable to either the lack of tracking ability of the person observing it, or in a couple of cases, you know, Bob Strain, for example, he was on our podcast earlier, great guy, um, legitimate woodsman, sort of thing. He followed a track line that he heard disappear in the middle of a snowfield, right? And of course, he looked closely and it turned and walked out of its own footprints. You know, so upon closer examination, it didn't disappear. That's just our, our human tendency to, like, I don't know, mythologize, or is that a word? Mytholo mytholo mythologize it. What's the word I'm looking for? Mythologize. Thank you, Matt Pruitt, Mr. Webster. Um, but nonetheless, I think a lot of it is uh, people aren't good trackers. Like that trackway I, I, uh, I, I followed up on with Connor and Keith um, in, in February. There were two good footprints. That's what they found. I got to the scene, I found six more. I couldn't find any more, and I'm not a great tracker. I'm the first one to admit it. You know, Tom Shea's a good tracker. I'm kind of a hobbyist. It's fun, I like it. But I couldn't find anything before or after. But I'm no, I'm no slouch, you know? I'm, I'm better than your average guy, I guess, because average guys have no skill. And I've got a tiny little bit, you know? <laughs> so that would, that's what I would think. It's a lack of tracking ability, or there, or you know, sand people aren't the only kinds of animals that walk in their own footsteps to hide their numbers. Perhaps, you know, Tuscan Raiders, right? So keep that in mind as well. They might—they're probably savvy enough to do that sort of thing. I wouldn't put that past them at all. But again, I'm no fun. You don't want to ask me questions like that because I'll tell you. And as far as what Bobo says, I never spoke to the witness. I never saw the footprints. How do I know they're even telling the truth? There's that too. I don't know. Today on, on your talk, Cliff, you, you spoke of an elderly lady that had a stone thrown and dead at her car. It seems like Bigfoots always throw stones, but they've never hit anybody. That's, that's not true. They've hit okay. people. That, did you know people have been actually hit or hurt? I, I've been hit with pebbles a few times, but never hurt. I've had, I, I think they don't try to hit you. If they, the natives I've talked to, they, they'll hunt birds, like the young ones will hunt birds out of trees with rocks, like just flinging rocks. Maybe. They'll stun deer and elk throwing bigger rocks. So they, they can, they're definitely marksmen. They, they, rarely, they rarely hit people, but they, uh, Turtle Man got his rib broke by one just a couple months ago. He got blasted down in Tennessee, threw a rock, just chucked, hit him right in the chest, and he still had a bruise like a yeah, I saw ago. the bruise, actually. So. Yeah. And you know what's interesting, where Turtle Man's been going is where we did two episodes of Finding Bigfoot in Tennessee and got action both times. And he had no idea. He had no idea that we'd even been there, and he was Bigfooting literally in the same spot. 
Live action. Yeah, yeah, live action. <laughs> yeah, there's a few other stories about them. Um, it was interesting when we, the, when we were in 2004 in the Hickory Apache Reservation, we were down there for a week and a half, and um, we were out one night after the one. Of, there was a couple of them in the barn. They were staying in this barn. And they ran, ran up the back and jumped off, like dropped down like 13 feet or something, and hit the ground, never broke stride, just kept running. And we went out there looking for him, and uh, the guy holding the Sunday night shot camera, two different pebbles came out of the brush line and hit the, hit the camera. Both, both pebbles hit the camera in like a 30 second span. So it was, I don't think that was an accident. Yeah, I think the missing is not an accident either. Yeah. Because you know what? Let me throw rocks at you. I can't throw very well. Um, let me throw rocks at you for a while, and I'll do my best to miss. You know how long it's going to take me to hit you? Not long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just kind of a sidebar, but this guy named uh, Bill Wing, he invented, if you guys are into boat stuff, the Wing Inflatables, he does all the stuff from the Navy SEALs and Special Forces and uh, whatever. Like, If you want hardcore uh, boats that can go up on rocks and all that, this guy knows it. He's a, he's a total outdoors guy. He grew up, his dad was a, like a real hardcore dude. Made, made, every summer, him and his brother had to go for two, three week hikes to the Trinity Alps and Marble Mountains and up through there in Northern California. And his dad, would, his dad was a, a bush pilot. He'd fly out there and drop food caches, like just enough, like just enough to keep them alive. They had to catch their own fish and get, get their own food, trap rabbits and stuff like that. And he was at the pickup zone, he got there really early because if you weren't there when his dad got there, he wouldn't wait for you. He'd fly out, then you'd have to like hike out to a highway and hitchhike home or something. Yeah, it's kind of a hard ass. But anyways, this was in the uh, late 60s, like 68, 69, and he was about 15 and he got to the pickup uh, little landing strip in the, in the mountains. And he laid it, uh, went in the shade and with these big old growth firs, he said like six, seven foot. Um, it was just, there's about four or five in there in a little clump on the edge of this canyon went down about to about 600 feet at the bottom and back up and it was about 180 yards across or so, 170 yards across. And he woke up to this just bam, and the whole tree shook. He's like, what? He's like, just, whoa, he was kind of dozing off late morning, like 10, 11 in the morning. And uh, just bam, and the, the, the whole tree shakes again. Then he hears a scream and he looks around. There's a big Sasquatch on the other side of the canyon, like almost 200 yards away, taking cantaloupe-sized rocks and throwing them like this and fly. He said they, were, they weren't lobbed. He said they were coming in like missiles uh, 180 yards away and taking gouges out of the trees, just shaking the whole tree, just black. And he was screaming and just throwing big rocks at them the whole time. his dad flew in around noon and then it took off. But so they can throw. We have time for, uh, we're gonna do maximum three more questions because we have way more than enough to make an episode, and we'll see what, what actually Matt pieces yeah, this guy's been waiting the whole time, Flo. Okay, just tell me where to go, folks. Right there. Then we got one. These young guys here? He's been yeah. flying along. You? Is that? Yeah, we got, we got warm. Do you get annoyed when... Yes. Yes. When people, like, ask you, are you going to go catch the Bigfoot? Oh, and they oh. put the singular, not plural? Yeah, have you seen him? Like that kind of thing? Yeah, I hate that. That, that what really pisses me off is when it's Bigfoot researchers that say him. Oh my god. Yeah. So what else pisses you off when they ask you? Right. You guys got a couple little time? Well, yeah, well, yeah, sure. We're okay. We're okay. Yeah. Actually we had a, a, a kid in the corner and against the wall has been waiting all day. Okay, very patient. You're gonna make an excellent Bigfooter. <laughs> like to sit around with nothing happening. Uh do you know any uh 
other animals that build a nest just like Bigfoot does. Just like Bigfoot, but not in North America. Yeah, that's the thing. Certainly other animals build and use nests. Bears do it, right? Bears do it, and you know, but the, the Olympic Project nests look like big bird nests, and actually in some ways, literally like big birds nests. I'd expect like Snuffleupagus to come around the corner or something, you know? Uh, but because it, it, it was quite high and quite large and very, some of them are rather round, but most of them are oblong. Um, but yeah, these look like bird nests, but they're in the tree canopy and they don't match any other bird nest patterns and things. Uh, but yeah, lots of animals. I mean, you make a nest. I mean, I personally don't make my bed, but that's what you're doing. That's the primate urge. That's why people say, we're not apes. The hell we're not. You make a nest every night, man. That's ape behavior. Whether you like it or not, deal with it. I'm so sorry to let you know about your kin. But still, you know what I'm saying. Um, we make nests. Bears make nests. Of course, birds do. They live them a lot longer. Sasquatches appear to make them at least occasionally for some reason or another. Um, you know, mice, rodents, everything. It's just a better way to live. You know? Yeah, last question. The pressure's on. He's got a good one. It's not really a question. I just want to hear what you guys have to say about the Hulu documentary. The Hulu documentary. Oh, the Sasquatch Hulu documentary. Yeah, don't have to watch it now. Oh, don't watch it. Unless you want to watch a murder mystery about tweakers. It's not that big. It's not that big. Now, Bigfoot was the hook to reel us all in. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't about Bigfoot. It's the worst. It's the worst I ever got. Uh, like Franken edited. Yeah, just they they were asking questions like. Well, what about these, you know, you must have heard stories about people, like I said, dude, I've looked in a bunch of stories about Bigfoots killing people, and they've all been BS. Like, it's been, a, a, it was a, some tale of cover up of murder, or it was just hearsay, and it was, like, rumor mill, like, you gave a telephone, it goes around, it comes, by the time it comes back, it's a murder, and, and everyone I, like, researched and dug into is all, it never was. So I told them that, they said, well, what stories did you hear that weren't true? I said, well, I heard this, and I heard that, and it was all, Clear out. I mean, it, it was. I kept telling them it, was, it wasn't true. And they just cut me in there saying these stories that I had heard that weren't true, and they didn't say it. They didn't put the part of me saying it's not true. But having said that, I watched all three episodes. I'm glad it wasn't six. But it, for a three episode thing, it wasn't bad. I enjoyed it. My my wife loves true crime, you know, so we watched it, and you know, it wasn't a bad thing, but it wasn't a Bigfoot thing. And I guess and that one thing alone, that not being a Bigfoot thing, I guess makes it a bad thing, though. Think about yeah. it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. If you're not a subscriber already, please, I would encourage you to be so. And uh, Bobo, you want to take us home? All right, folks, thanks for joining in and joining us tonight at South Fork State Park. Thanks to Mark Jordan for putting this on. All the volunteers, Coyote, Minion, Dave, uh, there's a bunch of you guys. And uh, so thank, thank the volunteers. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.